Hey everybody, welcome to the Able to Think Good podcast series. Today we talked to Ashley Fairbanks, and two things that we primarily talk about is uh, her activism around Philando Castile informing and developing a mural with a, several other artists, Minneapolis-based artists, uh, putting up a, a wall or a mural on a wall overnight uh, on Lake Street, which is which is really incredible. Uh, and there's some photos attached in, in the post here, and then also the um, her sort of relationship and. And, vision, and sort of observations and her participation with the Standing Rock protests, uh, which you know many folks by now have seen, uh, you know on television, independent media, different things, and it's a lot of folks here in Minneapolis are very attached to that that protest, and folks are going every weekend, so I really want to just uh, center that in a conversation. Well. I mean, I just had pneumonia. <laughs> that I had what was called walking pneumonia. Yeah, I had the same thing. Yeah. yeah, it was hard. I couldn't. I couldn't like. I had a hard time just walking into the bathroom. That was like, not even five feet. My bedroom's really close to it. Yeah, I basically laid on my couch for three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you get over the pneumonia, but your lungs are really damaged, and you have asthma, so it's going to be even worse. Mm-hmm. It was shitty. My God. <laughs> my God. I'm gonna just breathe out that anger and then <laughs> get back into this. Does your podcast have a name? Do you come up with things for it or do you just record people? Uh, El Huateque. El Huateque podcast series. What does that mean? El Huateque. So Huateque means, um, well, the whole the whole website is called El Huateque, right? And then, so this would be the podcast series of the website called El Huateque. And it means like a, in, in a couple of indigenous languages in South America, it refers to a, like, um, a gathering place for Campesino is a place to where community is built. Mm, okay, cool. So it made a lot of sense as a website name. Do you want me to hold that or do you want to hold it? Oh, I definitely hold it. Okay. <laughs> do, do you want to hold it? No, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Why were you asking him? Because I was like, I don't know. I just, no one's ever asked me that. <laughs> Cooperative spirit, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just if you were holding it, you wouldn't be able to hear what was happening. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to yeah. you know, do my thing. <laughs> Can you, uh, can you explain where we are? And your, your name, please. Okay. Uh, I'm Ashley Fairbanks, and we are sitting here on a beautiful evening in Powderhorn Park on the south side of Minneapolis. So for folks that aren't from Minneapolis, can you describe a little bit what this park is like and how it kind of relates to living in Minneapolis? Yes, as, as a south sider, Powderhorn is kind of like the seat of my soul. Like <laughs> It's a, our green space. Um, it's a space that people come to decompress and to gather and have fun and celebrate and play soccer and, you know, walk around the lake. Um, our little bit of nature here on the south side. Uh, we have some planes going overhead, as usual, a reminder that we are in civilization. Yeah, but the park's kind of a bowl, and so you kind of get into the park and you're yeah. like in there. You can't really see the city around it. Yeah. I love that. And that's like because that boldness has like a natural seating structure where you can look into the park. Yeah. Or the the lake. There's a there's a body of water here. People fish sometimes. So we shouldn't swim down just for, <laughs> for your own. Someone told me it was the cleanest lake in all of Minneapolis, and I don't know if I, I believe have that. A doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I love being here. It makes me think. Sitting on this hill makes me think of being at May Day and the right. beginning of the summer. I love it. Right. right. So this is a good spot for us, I think. Yeah. And it's sort of really, it's, um, there's a lot of blue sky out here. I grew up in Los Angeles, so our sky was tinged with brown or gray from the smog or whatever else was going on. Riots or <laughs> fires in the San Bernardino Mountains. So I, I can't get over how blue everything is, you know. It's a big thing to me. And green. And Super green, green right indeed, now. Indeed. And it will all die soon and we'll all have to survive the winter. We're all just going <laughs> to be real upset. I'm not ready for it. It's coming fast, and I'm freaking out. I know. Like today, we were in inside all day, and, and we were at Richardson Nature Center out Which in is Bloomington. Kind of, a, kind of a tragedy in this weather when it gets what's nice out. Yeah, like every time we'd go, we go outside for like a little break, and I'd be like, I don't want to go back in. <laughs> and then I felt like that asshole kid in like a college class. It's like, can we have class outside? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, stupid hippie. Yeah. 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 I definitely avoided being that kid. I had one instructor that put it on the syllabus that if you asked for a class to be outside, you had to bring a pizza for him to the next <laughs> class. That's good. <laughs> it was great. If I ever teach again, I'll write that down. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah. So, um, so there was a there was a series of there was a there was a mural that you all did um, that you co- helped coordinate overnight uh, regarding the the murder of Philando Castillo. Do you want? And those those photos actually did like really well. Eric Hires took some photos and I posted them on the what like a Facebook page and people really responded to it. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, I think that, um, so the moment that the Facebook video went up of Philando Castillo being executed, um, 
I really didn't know how to respond in that moment. And so the first thing I did was like get in my car and like go to the scene. I was like, is this real? Is it, did this happen? I don't know. You just don't want to believe things like that. And so I drove right out there and spent that night um, being there helping helping with kind of the logistics of holding that space mm. um, and then going to the governor's mansion. At, and what was the space initially? Can you describe that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, so it's um, right off of Labrinder, um, on Labrinder, right by the state fairgrounds. The north yeah. side of the state fairgrounds is where he was stopped and killed. And uh, people started to gather there immediately afterwards. Um, first, you know, people from the apartment complex and then, you know, organizers and people who show up for BLM stuff and people who show up for all kinds of racial justice work uh, started kind of trickling in. And the street was closed. Um, and so it was just to be there at first and kind of see how people were processing this and seeing mm-hmm. what was happening to the car, mm-hmm. uh, how the narrative was being constructed by the police um, was just really interesting. Because as far as we know, he was shot by police. Uh, he was pulled over, shot by police in front of his partner and his child. Yeah, and, and you know, obviously we all saw that on live stream. Yeah. Um, some people saw it live. I saw it about 20 minutes after it happened. And um, it was just, you know, people were incredibly worried about the, the child who had been in the back seat of the car. Right. And there was just a lot to process in that moment. And then I think, I don't know, it was because of what happened at the 4th Precinct, but kind of the first thought was, like, where do we go to, like, really build a community around what's happening right now? And the first thought was the governor's mansion. And so I left the scene of the crime and went to the governor's mansion uh, at, like, midnight that night. Which was relatively close, too. Yeah, pretty close. It's about maybe a 10-minute drive. And uh, pulled up on Summit. There's no one else there. And I walked up and I (laughs) rang the doorbell. You did? Uh, oh, I wow. did. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just wanted to see if he'd answer, I guess. If he, but, or if he even lives there. I don't know. Uh, the some staff answered. Of course so, they did, yeah. um, Even at midnight. Um, but that was the last time they answered. I, maybe it was not the most strategic decision to yeah. ring the doorbell right away. But well, that moment is the most strategy. Right? It's about <laughs> I was. I don't know. I was. I didn't. I wasn't thinking or process. I was just going. You it's know. Just so raw in those moments. And uh, being there that first night, like you know, slowly a bunch of people ended up being there. Um, and it felt very familiar. Like for mm. anyone who was at the fourth precinct, it it felt like a lot of the same energy was mm. happening, and a lot of the smells and the sights and the sounds were the same. And, it, and a lot of the core activists were probably the same too. Yeah, a lot, a lot. Of, I mean, some, and we're in St. Paul, so it was like slightly different, right. you know. Um, but it was a, a lot of the same feelings, and I hadn't really processed what had happened at the at the precinct yet, like uh. in a real way. I don't think most of us have. No, I don't think we have at all. Um, and so it, it was just, my friend Jeremiah was there and we kind of both were like, this isn't the space for us right now. We need to figure out something different. And so the next morning I wake up to a text message like, we should make a mural. <laughs> Jeremiah was also an artist. Yes, yeah, Jeremiah Bay. He's a fantastic artist and muralist. And uh, him and his partner Ariana um, had came up with this idea to do a mural. And I had been driving past the old Mako building on Lake Street. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So it used to be a place where people paint cars or whatever. Your $99 paint job. mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You might notice those cars around town. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they had boarded it up. And Uh it's, you know... It was like 60 feet of boarded up wall it's like a space. Perfect canvas, yeah. Perfect canvas. And it's across the street from Pioneers and Soldiers Cemetery, which okay. is the oldest cemetery in Minneapolis. Um, and so it's kind of like, it just had this feeling of a space that we could make. Um, and so immediately that day, we started running people up on Facebook asking for supplies. Uh, we went out there at like 2 p.m. that day. And I had, I think, five women and two teenagers, and we primed the wall. Wow. Because um, it was just bare plywood, which is not good no, for aerosol especially, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, which was our original intention was to do an aerosol piece on it. Um, but then the artists got together. So conceptualization happened at, like, 9 a.m. We primed the wall at 2. The artists got together at 4. We had rounded up all the supplies. They came up with the whole idea for the entire mural, um, and they were painting on the wall by 8 p.m. Mm. Uh, and then we were up doing it until about 3 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> so it all got done, you know, from idea to conception in That's less amazing. than 24 hours. To be some kind of record. I don't know what, <laughs> of what sort. But. It was just, I think, something that we all desperately needed. Yeah. And I am not a muralist or a painter. Um, I am an artist. I do mostly, like, public artwork and more, like, 
social practice and installation work, but um, I helped coordinate with these other artists who are all incredibly amazing um, and really just... Can we give them a shout out? Do you yeah, all of them. <laughs> so, yeah. so Jeremiah Bay, um, who I share a studio with, Olivia Levins Holden, who's amazing, um, and some folks from her studio, uh, Donald and Nell and uh, Shaka Mkali, who really is the reason why we probably end up doing that work in the first place. Um, Shaka had really just, has on multiple occasions challenged us to m- move from thought to action mm. um, and really, you know, is an expert at using art as the way to do that movement. Mm. Um, Jordan Hamilton um, and then uh, Andres, um, who is just like the most I just he blew my mind on the project he like came in did this like wicked hand lettering really set boundaries for how the mural could like look cohesive with so many artists painting on it at the same time right, give one vision. Um, mm. and like really made us simplify our vision because mm. at first we were gonna have all these artists doing aerosol at the same time oh but then it wasn't so coherent yeah and we would have all like probably died from fumes <laughs> right. and so Andres was like it's gonna yeah. be black and white we're gonna use uh, you know latex paint and he came in and just like, set the framework um, and like popped out all these illustrations. Each artist really brought their own style to the work, which I loved. Um, and then we just had great, you know, we had teenagers also who came in, like I said, and primed and painted. Um, I unfortunately can't remember all their names because I'm an asshole. Um, but you can, can cuss. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Not an FCC regulated yet. Um, and then, yeah, we had folks who just everything that we got was donated. So mm. ladders, brushes, paint, everything came from the community. Um, and we got out there. We had a generator and a sound system. We had uh, someone brought food. We had the ca- It was catered. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we had a tent for all the community members who came. And so it was incredible. Just like all the artists jumped out and painted all night. And then we were all there to support them. We didn't know how the police would react. Um, but thankfully, uh, our city council member in this area, Alondra Cano, um, I called her. I was like, listen, we're going to go paint this mural on Lake Street. Tell the cops not to arrest us. <laughs> <laughs> and so she worked with the third or at precinct. After, at least after we're done. We're yeah, done. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so she worked with the third precinct and made sure that we were out there safely. Yeah. Um, and they didn't even stop. Didn't give a shit? Not at all. Not at all. Wow. Um, so it was just, it was a great space. And it was kind of the, f- the first experiment for me in using art to create healing space very intentionally. Yeah. I mean, and it seems like people really embraced it. Like, there was so many different types of posts and messages about about not only people that had been activists and had been around and had been present, but also folks just on the street, like, choose, like, it became a, like, almost like a popular education piece. People sort of examined it and examined their relationship to it. Yeah, that was one of the coolest things was to get to see how um, people were taking selfies yeah. with it, how many people like made it like their Facebook cover photo. Right, right, right. Um, and, and so those people who haven't seen the mural, um, it said, what do we tell our children when? And then each each panel of the mural had a piece of imagery. And then, uh, you know, when handcuffs, you know, weren't, weren't enough for something to be wrong, when it wasn't enough... It wasn't terrible enough for someone to be handcuffed and shot, you know, when education wasn't enough to, like, help us escape this, you know, injustice. And it went on like that, you know, when HD video wasn't enough to prove that this was murder. Mm. Um, And so people really documented each section of it. And then the last one said, like, the truth is, like, our lives still matter. And it had, um, that's probably one of my favorite pieces, Alizarin. I I forgot to mention her either earlier, but um, she did this piece with uh, four folks uh, linked arms with their fists up and that piece was really the part that ended up being documented the most like people came out and and took pictures and poses like mm-hmm. the people in the painting mm-hmm. um yeah and then uh unfortunately the building got torn down mm-hmm. about three weeks ago okay so um, it was up for a total of yeah the school board owned the entire block actually uh, which and we did not ask for any permits any permission uh, when we painted it um and so we knew that was a risk um, and we actually went out the week after we painted the mural and built an altar and had some danzantes come out and mm. uh, really celebrate with us and you know build a space for remembrance of people killed by police violence. Um, but all of that, the, the altar is still there, thankfully, um, and pe- that's maintained. Um, and also there's a count kept in it of how many people have been killed this year by the police. Oh, wow. um, but the mural is down. And it's currently uh, in pieces, leaned up against my studio, which is on Cedars. (laughs) 
Yeah. Is there a plan to put it up again? or? We we really need to meet and figure that out Just before winter. Collectively <laughs> sort it out. Yeah. Um, but it's it's pretty big, and it's kind of hard to put it right. anywhere else because right, right, it's right, like right, 60 right. feet long. Wow. I mean, it'd be incredible to have it out somewhere, but yeah. Yeah. It's all to you all, I guess. <laughs> We're trying to figure out. A lot of places have asked if they could ha- display it, but it's kind of prohibitive and uh, size-wise. Yeah. Um, There's limitations. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I kind of want to just take it down to the greenway and stick it out against a wall. <laughs> yeah, like on some sort of like rollers or something, just mm-hmm. have it up there. That'd be nice. Yeah. We we'll did that. We did that like as a protest when we were organizing, or asked me who represents cleaning workers and at the UC system. We, my friend, who's an artist, created these like thirty foot images of the workers mm-hmm. because the, you know the idea being that the university erases them, students to some degree erase them. And we wanted them to be really present all over campus as they were negotiating contracts and everything. That's awesome. Yeah, it was incredible. I just think it's. Um so many of the things that we do when it comes to organizing become so standardized yeah. that we really have to figure out like, these creative things that get people that make people feel powerful again um, and make people feel like there's other options like that we don't just have to center all of our protests around like these institutions of white supremacy like we don't have to just be at a yeah. police station or at the governor's mansion we can go out and make our own community better and as part of that having these healing processes well, yeah, and I think, and I think for the folks that have an intuition about this injustice but don't know how to step into it, it's a good first step to start examining their relationship to, to resistance and to the work that that we do. Yeah, and I think a lot of people also have trauma that hasn't been dealt with around sure. like direct action, um, and that those places can be very stressful and yeah. like triggering for people who have had a lot of violence in their lives, yeah. and that art spaces offer a way to like to say something to protest to like force change that aren't as traumatic for people and I, th- and I think this is like I'm really wedded to protest music from the 70s in Latin America and, and I think one of the things that's a important re- that's that's been an important reflection for me is how much beauty is in that music and how much uh, the, the point being that there's beauty in our struggle and there's an expression of beauty in, in how we come together yeah I think that there was an important conversation that happened when we built the altar that's we were like talking about how we're having this realization that like this work isn't our job, it's our life, and yeah. like that this is stuff that we're gonna be doing for a really long time. Yeah. So we have to find ways to make it sustainable. Yeah. And like for me personally, I don't know how many more like protest marches I have in in me without knowing that the ask of that march isn't something that's transformative. Yeah. And so th- th- we're just trying to vision new ways of doing organizing work that that is sustainable and that it, that feeds us and that is transformative. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think even even for me personally, doing these podcasts, and I've you know I'm always on the street doing whatever the call to action is, but keeping keeping our narrative out of corporate media is what's important to me, and, and finding a way to disseminate it without depending on corporate media is I think fundamental to just us moving our our work along too. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of things like. I think the struggle for the generation prior to us, to our parents, to our grandparents, a lot of that was like, how do we assimilate? How do we fit in? How do we get accepted by society? And I think we've kind of come to the point now where it's like we've got some baseline places where we've been accepted, but we're still not like fundamentally recognized as human beings. And so we've kind of realized that the way to that isn't by jumping in and assimilating more. It's actually by like creating our own narrative, right? And so I think it's important for us to be visionary and creative and yeah and and continue promoting and creating our own narratives to really vision this other world and for you when you say we what do you mean by for what does we mean for you i think we means a lot of things to me like we means my generation um all of us terrible millennials <laughs> um, i think we means uh indigenous people um, I'm, I'm anishinaabe from mm-hmm. white earth and northern minnesota and um, I think there's a global indigenous struggle that is important to me. Um, and I think we means, you know, Southsiders, uh, activists in Minneapolis. And my my idea of organizers or activists is really like broadening lately. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been working on something at my work. I work at a place called Voices for Racial Justice. I'm the director of narrative and network building. And we've been working on this idea of this village model of organizing. Mm. So instead of saying we have organizers, they go do the work, they're at the Capitol, they're in the streets, they're at City Hall, um, and they're they're getting people to try to 
you know, do actions or, or shift power. Um, this village model really says that like in the center of our community, we have shared values and shared culture. And then all of us together are working to perpetuate those values. Mm. And the way that we do that work looks different for all of us. Mm. So like, someone's organizing might be cooking food for their family or cooking yeah. food for people who are going out to march and like someone's organizing might be taking care of the babies mm-hmm. um and that this idea um god it was just so awesome today uh ricardo levens morales who's an amazing mentor and thought leader here in the twin cities and really nationally and mm-hmm. globally so, um yeah. he said this thing about how uh you might have seen one of his pieces if, incidentally <laughs> if you've been to a protest at all. If you've ever seen protest art, you've probably <laughs> seen Ricardo's art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but he was just talking about how, like, there's... Um, I completely lost my train of thought now. <laughs> That's all right. Welcome back. This, this, uh, in, we're, not, we're not linear. Right? <laughs> it's okay. Um, I was just distracted by the beauty surrounding us Yeah, right that's now. nice here. Um, I'm not getting overwhelmed by the bugs yet, so... We're going to hold this together for a little while longer. Um, okay, today. Today. Uh, you're talking about, like, organizing in, in, in community? Yes, yes. Um, oh, my God. I was just... Well, let's just let it go. We'll come back to it. It'll come back, like, in five minutes. There were minutes. so many things. So many things. So many um, things. But anyway, just this idea that like everyone can be an organizer and it's a various holistic or everyone process. Is an organizer. Every, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, this is what it was. Okay, uh, there, we there we go. Excited. <laughs> we were talking about Ojibwe, which is my language, which I went to school for, um, and is you know the language that my my grandparents were born speaking, um, and that I have learned to sort of slaughter and speak like I speak it very poorly. Um, but Ojibwe is a verb-based language. Um, and Ricardo was talking about how, like, in... What is... Say more about that. What does that mean, verb-based language? So it means that, like, all of the way that our senses and thoughts are structured uh, are about verbs, so are about action. So you can't really... You can't make a sentence that refers to nouns in, in any kind of way. Like, those nouns have to be doing something. Can you give me an example? I'm, I'm really bad at grammar, so I don't know what... <laughs> yeah, so, like... Um, so, like, here's the example that kind of relates directly to what I was talking about, but, like... In, in a Western concept, we have the idea of, of organizers, mm-hmm. as organizers as a, as a noun, as people who do a thing, right? Oh, yeah. um, as, a, as a subject. Yeah. But in Ojibwe, we would say, like, an, to the, if we had an Ojibwe word for organizing, maybe we do, I'll have to ask some language professionals, but you would say, like, the person who organizes. So it's like, it's rooting that in action. You can't just be something because you're that thing. You have to be that thing because you, you're doing, you're doing that thing, uh, right? So, like, huh. that to me is a powerful shift in worldviews where you're, like, Very dumb, yeah. Very dumb. you can't just call yourself an organizer and say you're making change. You actually have to be rooted in action. Yeah. Um, well, so, and certainly our, our thoughts and the way we think of our thoughts are framed in the languages that we that we know of and the, that we subsist in. Yeah. And and what but the reason Ricardo actually brought Ojibwe up originally is because he was talking about how we have tenses that are like um, this thing might be this in the future or it will definitely be this in the future, um, and you can conjugate things into all these different tenses. Um, but he's saying that there's not as much definitive idea of like what's good and what's bad and what's black and what's white because it's there's more options in our, in our worldview and our language. Mm. Um, it's not as binary. Yeah, definitely. Mm. It's definitely a Western construct. <laughs> hmm. So I don't know. I, I try to think back to that and this idea that like, if if we talk about decolonizing, which is like this thing that gets overly discussed in academia, sure. there's actual concrete ways to to do that. And to me, like decolonizing is that like seeing someone um, who's doing you know, childcare work mm-hmm. as someone who's upholding the movement, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as part of that, like critically part of that. Well, and, and, and the recognition of resistance in, in the multiple forms that it takes, and it's not just like the person that's in front with the microphone, it's people that that sustain their language, that, that fight for, to have the right to grow whatever plants that make sense to them or are native to their thinking or their heritage. Yeah, actually, so I was at Standing Rock this past weekend, and I was discussing, uh, one of my friends is a Lakota painter, and she has a show that opens tomorrow, um, and she was saying that... Where's the show going to open? The show's at at Bakley Gallery. Her name's Diani Whitehawk, um, and this show's called Story of Abstraction, but she was um, talking about how she was, like, 
said that she couldn't be at Standing Rock because she was doing these paintings and she has a show opening. And to, I said to her, I was like, I feel like that's a critical component of the work, right? Yeah. That like that that to me is another way of organizing. She's carrying on like the stories of her people, of her mm-hmm. ancestors, and like developing those narratives about who Native people are in a contemporary context in a way that is to me like critical organizing work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's tell, say, say more about Standing Rock. Yeah. Um, so you were out, how long were you out there for? I was just there for a weekend, for a long weekend for Labor Day. It seems like a lot of folks in Minneapolis did that. Yeah, it was, you would go, I went out there and I felt like I was in Minneapolis. <laughs> like every five steps I would take, I'd be like, oh, hey, what's hey, up? Hey, buddy, good to see you again. <laughs> yeah, um, there's speak, actually, so there's a lot of us out there that's pretty awesome because it's kind of a long drive. It's about seven and a half hours yeah, from yeah, Minneapolis yeah. With, with the police barricades that you'd go around. Um, and I had a lot of like issues about whether or not I was going to go. Um, Do you want to get into that? Or? Yeah, I can. I think there's just like there's a fear about like celebrity activist culture. Oh, what? Say more about that. What do you mean? <laughs> Are you a celebrity? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Um, I, don't, I don't know what that means actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you've heard of like Deray. Oh, well. <laughs> but like. That's like asshole culture. That's not. <laughs> so there's there's this idea right of like people doing work because like they want to tweet about it or like oh, they want to yeah, put it on yeah, Instagram, yeah. Sure, right? Sure, 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 sure. And. I'm, and that to me, that's like opportunism. That's like destructive. Yeah. That's like anti-movement. Like I, mean, I guess oh. I just use different language, but I, I yeah, guess I yeah, do, yeah, I get yeah. Uh, I would think I would define a lot of those things as part of like this like celebrity activism. Folks that are pursuing celebrity. Yeah. Um, also from LA, so I guess celebrity is a very <laughs> specific kind of. I'm from Minneapolis, where like our news anchors are celebrities. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the weather person is the most important person to talk to. Yeah. So I think that, I don't know, I, I um, in the past like two years, I've been, I've started to be very open on social media and which has led to people knowing me for my social media presence more than they know me. Mm. Um, mm. And so I'm very conscious of that and I'm very paranoid about like being read the wrong way, mm. I guess. Um <laughs> A couple of my homies are just gonna—they're on a jog. They're gonna, they're gonna <laughs> run by us. I'm not sure what's gonna happen right now. Uh, ¿Qué tal, compa? Oh, okay. Oh, see? Sí? Yeah, right Ay, Dios mío. Oh man. It's my homie Matías from Almandina. His wife, uh, his partner, is, is over there, I guess, with their child, their new child. Fresh baby. Yeah, that's right. Fresh baby. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. Oh no, this is that was like a typical Southside moment, right? <laughs> I love it. This is also why I like recording outdoors because you just you kind of let the environment you have its have its place within the conversation, you know. I like it. It's super chill. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So anyway, this whole I had this whole complex about like, should I go to Standing Rock? Um, because I didn't want people to think I just want, wanted to go so I could like. Do people really think that? I think that some people do. There. Yeah, but who there's a lot of haters about them. Out there. <laughs> Come on, you know, like... Well, and I, I normally don't, but, like, I don't know. I've been... You're just feeling a little more sensitive. I was like, feeling... Like, yeah, I had, like, this, like, number one hater, like, call me out publicly and, like, uh, try to say that, like, my work was for the wrong reasons. Whoa. And normally that would, like, brush off my shoulder, but, like, he's a dude who, like, I really have a lot of love and respect for. Wow. And so it was just really hard to... Like, what, do people think that about me? And, like, I don't know. But anyway, I got over it, talked to my friend who's, like, super dope. Um, and she's Lakota from Standing Rock and she's like come out this is a place for all of us Mm. and so I went out there uh, with my friend uh, Naya who runs the water bar which is like a super dope art project in North Minneapolis Northeast Minneapolis um, who's really interested in like the intersection of environmental justice and art so she wanted to come out for that reason like has some deep personal thoughts about water and politics Um, so we drove out there and it was just incredible it was like Mm. The, some of the most Indians I've ever seen in one place like, <laughs> and a lot of things are very familiar like we pulled in and it was like kind of like pulling into a powwow mm. um, and you know we were camping in a tent on the prairie it was cold it was windy uh, but like you fell asleep and there was like a drum and ceremony happening all the time there was an anxiety around the federal the presence of the federal government yeah mm. yeah constant struggle (laughs) Uh, it's obviously a little different for us but you know it's always there um so anyway yeah there's like a big a big huge camp and then different barricade sites um where the work is happening and where they're stopping the work daily so i stayed in the overflow camp which is the big camp um what what does overflow mean um so there's like these 
there's a smaller camp um, where they're like more more action is happening when it comes yeah. to like arrests and stopping the construction the direct confrontation yeah the yeah construction process um but there's a lot of names for the big camp um say it's camp of the sacred stones and then there's just the red warrior camp and there's the, the it's kind of confusing um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but there's people there from literally like every stretch of the continent it was incredible. Like, mm. there's people there from Alaska, mm. from New Jersey, from Florida, uh, from some people came, you know, all the way from like Arizona, New Mexico. I think there's even people there from Mexico, mm. um, and so it's just really there, incredible. There's a crew from Cali, I think. I don't, these, I mean, it's probably several, but one that I know of from Santa Barbara heading out sooner. Or of course, the, the person right from California would have to bring up the Californians. I don't know. Camp. This is part of my Facebook. <laughs> this is part of what I see. You know, it's very... Uh... Yeah, I, I think uh, today, Immortal Technique had a concert right. at the camp. Right, right, right. Wish I would have been there for that. Um, I don't know. It's just so dope. I can't even explain. Like, Native people don't typically get to be around tons of Native people. Like, They're all special occasions for us. Like, there's, you know, there's just, our population is such that it's hard to get together a thousand of us in a, in a place without a specific intent. So that happens at big powwows. It happens at, you know, at ceremonies sometimes, at big ceremonies. But, like, that's not our daily thing. So it's pretty cool to mm. get to see. Um, and, to and be among. Yeah, we were, like, marching down the road. You know, there's 4,000 people there. And we're praying with folks in different ways from all over the continent. Just super cool. And, uh, yeah, aside from the pipeline construction and a very... It sounds like a fairly unobstructed landscape, too. Yeah, I mean, it's very different. For, you know, like It's just one state away, so it's kind of hard to conceptualize how yeah. different it is. But, like, you know, it's like rolling hills. You're getting kind of into the edge of the mountains. Uh, so you, get, you have a little bit of that, too. Um, so, mm. And then the wind just, like, whips across the prairie. Mm. And, yeah, it was beautiful. And you're, it's right on the Missouri River. Um, which is, you know, one of the reasons why they're trying to stop the construction there because they don't want to endanger the water source. Um, but it just, I don't know, being there and being and camping with folks like really evokes a lot of ideas about about what it means to have settlers on our land. I guess I, that's what it brought up for me. Sure. Was like, how, what did our land look like when we got together? Before colonization, I guess. Oh, and the, and the pop, that pipeline is an agent of colonization as well. Yeah. And it's just like this thing that, you know, when our ancestors were colonized, they didn't have a way to communicate with each other. And now we have Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was just like, what would have happened, right? Like if they would have had tools that would have allowed them cool to be like, Twitter. hey, guys, yeah. watch out. <laughs> There's a lot of white dudes here. Holy shit, white is coming. <laughs> get the fuck out of the way or let's get together and do what we got to do to them. Yeah. Don't talk to them or take their shit. Yeah, do not trade with them. <laughs> so I don't know. And it's like, this is a this moment where like, they've taken so much from us, right? They've taken yeah. our land, so much of our land. So much extraction. And then now we have like these little pieces of land and they're trying to ruin the last bits we have left, right? And I don't know. It's definitely part of the genocide too, right? Yeah. And I think that people, a lot of people get like sensitive about using that word when you talk about it. Mm. But to me, like water is our life source. Native people are fundamentally connected to our homelands. Like, we have a deep spiritual connection that is built into our worldview with our homeland. And destroying our lands, destroying our water sources, is really destroying us as people. Um, and so I, I think that's... People shouldn't be afraid to say that it is an act of genocide to build pipelines through sacred lands because it, it is. It's like endangering our future generations. Yeah, it's part of the structural elimination of a society. Definitely. I mean, that's fundamental. At least as I understand it, it's fundamentally what genocide is about. It's that structural approach. Well, and, you know, the, the way for pipeline construction was, like, really rooted in a lot of talk about national security about 10 really? years ago. So, like, there was, there was bills that were passed that allowed, basically, the federal government to, like, take land to build pipelines in the name of energy security. So like the Patriot Act of pipeline building? Basically, yeah. Wow. Yep. And it kind of went through without a lot of announcement. Like, they framed it in a way that made it sound not that bad. And then now that allows the federal government to really uh, confuse the jurisdiction of who, who can build what where. Yeah, and without a vibrant uh, national media, there's a lot of things that slip through that, like, we really just don't know, you know? And, and there's it, a lot of shit that goes through. With Native folks, too, it's just, it's hard because there's so few of us 
that like those of us who have the privilege to like do organizing work to be in court battling these things to be like yeah to have the access to to talk about these things uh we're all doing like a hundred different things so like native folks really aren't ever organizing around a single issue right like people are fighting the pipelines and fighting sex trafficking Mm. and you know fighting the pipelines and talking about education on the reservation um and so to me, I can't imagine like being a member of a different, <laughs> different kind of group of people of color and like having the luxury or the privilege of being like, I just work in education. That's it. Mm. You know, it's, it's not that way I mean, for any. You know, like, I think there are quite a, a, a lot of people who do like very siloed work I and I, no, no native organizers are, I know do anything like that. Not the people I know. Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. I, <laughs> I, no, it's, I mean, I hear it. Just, you like, just really feel it when you're a native organizer and mm. there's so there's so few people that do it that you're getting calls mm. like every day like hey plan this action tomorrow hey raise money for this you yeah. know and i'm not complaining i'm just saying that like it's and we need a lot of support it's a unique in the condition work of, yeah <laughs> i mean certainly the folks of color that i know that that are just siloed other are certainly the folks i don't trust right like the <laughs> folks i keep away from like my work and my organizing yeah and I, I feel like there's there's a difference between people who are siloed right and people um and what I mean by that really is that like they, you might have like a main area where that's the work that you do, um, and and that's kind of like where you show up. And maybe you show up in other spaces for support, but like it's not up to you to plan those spaces. Mm. Okay. This is also really like probably revealing some personal shit about me taking on too much. <laughs> but, a little stressed out this week. It's fair. But like. Yeah, it just gets a little crazy. Mm. <laughs> Especially like when we planned an action yesterday and most of the folks who I normally organize with are actually out at the camp right mm-hmm. now. Um, so it's like I had to build a new crew to mm. try to have this action at the law firm that's supporting the pipeline. Mm. I mean, certainly more, I think, for our communities, more in the immigrant community, right? Like you're organizing, uh, you're dealing with things at the workplace, dealing with things in your housing situation because you're in shitty housing. And then a member of your community dies, and so you suddenly have to figure out how to put together some funeral costs and send that person back to their, their native country, wherever it might be, in somewhere in the Americas. I think that probably is more of the lifestyle that you're... It sounds like more of the lifestyle that you're describing. Yeah. Rather than my first-gen lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been really the interesting. Urgency of it, the urgency of it, I think, is what the distinction is. I, I, the place I work now, um, Voices for Racial Justice, it... Uh, it's the first place I've ever worked that is a majority people of color office. Yeah. Um, you could feel it when you walk in. And it's amazing. I've worked at like native organizations and like white majority organizations, but it's really different to to work with all people of color and be talking about the multiracial. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and and talk, be talking about how things present differently in our communities. So even you know an immigrant person compared to like someone who's Latino but has yeah. lived here forever, like. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the intersectionality we have to think about, right? Yeah, but it's it's crazy to work in a place where it's, like, so vibrant and talked about every day. And then, like, to talk about, like, other things, too, like, talking about disability organizing and talking about, like, GLBT organizing and all of that in our work constantly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm interviewing, um, I'm interviewing Salvador next week. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be funny. <laughs> uh, Sal. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah, I mean, I know most of the staff too. Yeah. Did you go through the organizing class? No, I just got to know them. Okay. <laughs> Slowly. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I was on the board actually before I had my job uh, and I worked on contract there before I had my job. Uh, so, um, it's you, been a slow process, but they been, finally got me. been in it for a long time. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> oh yeah, I love it too. I love the vibe. The new name, like the rebranding and all just sort of makes sense to me. Have you seen our new offices yet? You moved? Oh, um, you took get, over another floor, We got floor, the whole right? floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen the second part. We're basically the Google of nonprofits. <laughs> yeah, it does look like that. It does have that, like, the, the look of the office has that, like, stereotypical, like, startup. It's really nice. It. We have a meditation room. Oh, do you? We're very focused on, like, self-care and wellness. Um, I'll, we, come by, I'll come by and make lunch sometime. <laughs> we get a, I don't know, it's, it's a good vibe. Yeah, no, it's crazy. It's a great vibe. <sighs> twin cities, twin cities. Have you, so you grew up here? I did. Okay. I grew up mostly on the West Bank, um, and in Longfellow, and on the east side of St. Paul. Mm. It's like my deep secret that I'm I'm actually half St. Paulite. It's not a secret anymore. <laughs> uh, I make fun of St. Paul a lot, and I'm like, it's okay, I'm from St. Paul. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've been, you know, we've been talking about this podcast for a while. It just schedules got off, and then I've I've, de- I've definitely appreciated. Um, 
don't know the right word is, but like as you described, like the more personal Facebook post because it has given me a chance to get to know you a little bit before we had this conversation. You know, it's a, it's it's really like a weird thing. It I don't is know. Weird. <laughs> There's no real good rules around it either. There's no like etiquette around it. It's just like you just try to not be super crazy i don't know <laughs> yeah I, don't know. <laughs> I try to keep it out of the realm of like i want to keep things relatable yeah, right? right like right, i don't right. want it to be so personal that no one else can understand what i'm talking about <laughs> right. um or, I, or vague booking <laughs> yeah, term yeah i've heard before uh, i'm not down with it the passive aggressive <laughs> uh anonymous facebook posts um but i think that there's just like part of my whole like organizing strategy is this idea to like that that capitalism and patriarchy have really robbed us of like our fundamental humanity Mm -hmm. and that in order for us to actually build power and and shift power we have to like see each other as humans first and so i think a big part of like me sharing more of my story very publicly is just like wanting people to like for other people to to reciprocate like i want to hear people's stories so i understand where they're coming from like i don't want to just like see you at at a march and be like Mm -hmm. that dude's an asshole you know but i'm like oh you know like there's some shit going on in his life right now and like it's just easier for me that that we can all work together i think organizers already have really bad boundaries (laughs) but like if we if we know more about each other's stories instead of just being involved in each other's drama i think there's real potential for us to like do some pretty cool shit together (laughs) or only seeing each other through transactions and and Mm -hmm. organizing spaces yeah I mean, I think for me, one of the one of the themes that I hit on a lot in my in my sort of posting is is grieving because my both my parents passed away, and I'm constantly feeling that and thinking about that. And I think what it's ended up becoming is helping people as as my friends become older and they're facing these things, give them a, a little bit of a roadmap for how to not a not how to do it, but just like, hey, this is kind of how I've approached it. I'm not telling you this is the right way because I have no fucking idea. Yeah. But this is at least the way I'm thinking about it, and I try to approach it and. This is one of the ways that I ask for help when it's, you know, when I'm having difficulty with it or whatever. So I think it's part of it too, just trying to trying to model some of the things that I'm trying to think about as a practice. Definitely, I, I think I've enjoyed a lot of your Facebook posts for the same thing that it's like we don't frequently have time to really build relationships like with folks um, that that we're not seeing every single day. So it's interesting to learn mm. little bits of someone's story. Right. And then like that also can, you know, intrigue you enough to build deeper relationships with someone. Right. Um, but I don't know. I'm. It's an invitation for a conversation too. Yeah. I think that I there was just like it. so much about my own experience that was, that made me feel very alone. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I grew up super poor um, and like went to nine different schools and my house got foreclosed when I was a senior in high school, um, and I ended up, like, selling appliances at Best Buy and dealing blackjack for a few years. <laughs> and, like, I had no one to talk to about my experiences. I didn't right. know how to apply for college. Like, I didn't uh, – um, and I had been, like, a super, like, straight-A, like, yeah. high-scoring test kid, like, my whole life. And But then I, like, didn't even know how to, like, apply for financial aid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think the other part of, like oh – so, telling. I felt like an earthquake. Somebody running. <laughs> I think the other part of like telling my story is just like trying to hope that other people like see themselves reflected yeah. in it. Um, I feel that. I mean, it's it's hard because like my parents died when I was young, so I I also have like this this notion of like an exceptionality to my experience that makes it so that it makes me difficult to relate to, and it makes me it makes it for me hard to relate to other people sometimes. And there's a there's an implicit loneliness in that too. And so I think just like the more that we're able to find some connection somewhere yeah and i think that it's like a super western and like white concept that we have to really like compartmentalize ourselves where we have like our professional life and our personal life and that's crazy you're like unprofessional if you share details about your story in your work but to me it's like with organizing work our work is hard like it's not like not like other people's work isn't hard but our work is emotionally burdensome and like heavy and if we can't like be humans in that work i feel like we're kind of lying to ourselves about it. Like, I don't know how you talk about like the world you're envisioning. If you're not talking about why, what brought you there? Like, Mm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What compels you to move in that direction? Uh, Mm. hopelessness. I think I'm fundamentally like a super crabby. Oh, sorry. It wasn't a question. I was just thinking that. Yeah, no, I'm going to respond to it. Cause I think that I just want to say what compels me to do this work is that I am like, a terrible, hateful person at my <laughs> core. 
<laughs> and like I want to find some sort of sense of hope in the world yeah. when I constantly feel like very disappointed by it. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, having having increasing clarity about like why the system is what it is breeds a lot of hopelessness. Yeah, and I mean, when you go through shit, like, man, like, my mom, you know, worked three jobs, like, yeah. and, like, we had terrible shit happen to us. When you carry pain. You and know. and so it's just, like, yeah. I don't know, you see a lot of stuff, and you, I don't know. I, I, it makes me feel better waking up every day knowing I'm trying to do something to make the world a slightly better place for the people who come after me. Yeah. Like. <laughs> and then that work trying to build community in some way, whether it's a Facebook post or, like, holding a fucking meal and having like 15 people over my apartment whatever it's gonna be and also to me like it's just fun like it's more fun to do this kind of work to like especially like with my art like my more like artistic endeavors in the organizing world like i'd rather paint a mural with someone than like go to cowboy jacks and drink margaritas i guess and that this doesn't have a place, but that I think some people, some people just like live this like okay. cyclical life where like they just like get out of bed and like go to their cubicle farm and then like come home and like watch TV. TV, you know, that that's it's not the life I want to live. I guess. Yeah. That sounds like really bougie. I don't know. Eh, a little bit, but that's okay. That's okay. No, I mean, but it's I mean, you know, I think I think I have some compassion for like the folks in the cubicle farm too. Is also just like you doing that job keeps this system going and I need you to think about that sometimes because everyone's complicit in some level. There's degrees of it. Well, and I think there's something about like people who do organizing work in a, in a way that like is as hard as the work can be that we're also like taking an easier way out because like, yeah. I mean, people in the cubicle farm, they like don't, like today I spent like half my day talking about my feelings with my coworkers, <laughs> like, and talking about like, hard. what's triggering exactly. and like, what are our traumas and how uh, do we take care of ourselves? Jesus. I, oh my God, I would have been like passing out from exhaustion. <laughs> no, my God, I'm so bad. And you know, so I don't know, in a way I think we're kind of spoiled and privileged to like have lives where we get to do that. Like. My dad is the manager of an auto parts store and, like, has to go to work every day and stand on his feet and, like, work in a retail oh, yeah. environment oh, yeah. and deal with customers that treat him like shit. Um, and so, I don't know. It's, it's you know, there's definitely both sides of it. Like, there's an incredible amount. My job is so dope. Like, my life is really actually pretty awesome <laughs> when oh, yeah. it comes to, like, the work I get to do every day, I, I guess. I spend every day thinking about how to build community. Not that I'm good at it sometimes, but... It, the thought is there, you know. Not that I don't like break apart community sometimes too with some of our behavior and some of my action, right? But it's an reflection. It's a daily reflection. I don't know, and I th I think that, like I said, it's it, we're all in it for the long haul. Like if you're committed to this kind of work, you have to build those community spaces. Like I want to be able to, you know, like hold my friend's baby and like cook with people and and then be like working together. Um, because I, I, we're just like so far removed from the way that people were supposed to live, or like the people, the way that we have lived for so long. Yeah. Like, like our ancestors did. I don't think it could have ever envisioned this like transactional system we have now, um, that feels so foreign to like. Then yeah, like two hundred years ago, people were like living. Most of our people, like most people of color, were living in like self-sustaining communities. Mm -hmm. Well, know? and it, it's quite literally like our bodies aren't designed for this. Your body isn't literally designed to like sit at a chair. Right, like it starts breaking down, your shoulders start falling apart, your back starts hurting, your hamstrings are tied. You actually can't move. You can't poop well. You can't poop well. Thank you. <laughs> I, I just listened to a whole story about squatty potties. It's a big deal. We literally aren't designed for this world that we've created for ourselves, or we've been, you know, forced to like deal with. And the world isn't designed for this world. Right. Like it's falling apart. There's climate change and everything else we could imagine. It's just insane to think like. This isn't sustainable. None of this is. Could could humans have done a better job of screwing up she the planet if we would have like if that would have been our only intention was like to fuck up the planet? Yeah. Would we have been able to do it as well as we've done? <laughs> like I mean, nuclear weapons. I mean, that's the last <laughs> that's the last bastion of like how we could really fuck it up. That's the last one. It's just it's I incredible think. to me that like fracking. We, I mean, they just invented that like twenty years ago, right? Like that's oh another crazy way of like destroying the planet. Okay, we just watched a kid go down this hill on a skateboard. Yeah, that was crazy. Like blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. Fearless. He, he was catching some speed on that. <laughs> I mean, the grass maybe slowed him down a little bit, but 
people's been fucking around. Oh, they're filming it too. Oh, is that what's going on? We're probably in their show. Are we part of a skate video? <laughs> Maybe we are getting famous. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Just kidding. I feel so embarrassed now that you asked me if I'm a celebrity. <laughs> I don't know what you were trying to get at. I was just trying to figure out what you were trying to say. I was like, what? Why would you say that? I mean, but don't <laughs> pretend like you've never heard anyone talk about organizers that are there for themselves. Like, right? Yeah, like but that. I just, it's a different language. Like, you're, we just, I, I, I get what you're saying. I just would use a different language. <laughs> asshole is just, that's it. Like, yeah. Oh, that asshole. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that's that self-serving narcissist. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, see, guy. it lacks the clarity. I mean, maybe it's just because I'm, like, I'm a narrative person, but I'm like, sure. I like to have the clarity. It's in your job title. It's a fancy job title, too, by the way. Yeah, I got Jesus. to come up with it. Yeah. Vina was really Vina's my boss she's yeah. like impressed it off it on one line of my business card <laughs> but I don't know I talk a lot about like my job is a lot of different things but like communications director sounds really bogus to me yeah. when really what I'm trying to talk about is like how are we doing like how are people of color how are indigenous people changing the world like what do we, what do we envision what is what are we working for and I think that we actually do a really bad job of that as organizers of like mm. of of telling people what victory looks like mm. you know mm. like we have all these small wins but it's like what are we really fighting for yeah yeah what's the big what's the big goal and then when we win like we don't know how to tell that story either especially to ourselves you know we're like okay we did this and now what's the next thing well i mean i'm also just like really lamented over like whenever we have like a quote-unquote win there's always a lot of loss that's part of that that i just i always hold and it makes me like really like brooding and annoying when we're like celebrating our victory, but that's that's where I that's where I am often when we do get our fucking win. And I used our quotes, but you can't see that. But like you know, like it's there's was so many shit, so much shit that happens. People get harmed along the way, and like that's what I that's what I think about. Yeah, you know? I think that if you just never stop and pause and think about like what progress looks like or where we've made progress or how we're doing it, like that can be super depleting of, of wrong, your energy, yeah, right. which yeah can cause people to become like dark and broody. Yeah. <laughs> dark and broody <laughs> but I don't trust all the super optimists either so. oh god no <laughs> keep them away from me I just go nuts <laughs> that was the hardest uh, I shouldn't say this on this podcast but like, <laughs> that was like the, hard, <laughs> the hardest thing at Standing Rock was like white hippies <laughs> that's why wouldn't you, why can't you say that I don't know like I mean this is not this podcast isn't designed for them or I don't know if, I don't know exactly what your concern is but like this no, is I just, I mean, a I podcast f- for our community yeah fuck those hippies like I feel like god. yeah I mean god. Like they they come with their good intentions, but I don't know. Like, I've just listened to too many white people talk about like all of the indigenous traditions that they've learned, yeah, and like you know how they went to sweat, and like most of the people in my fucking community have never went to sweat lodges because they don't have the privilege. Yeah, right. And so then you get like white folks who come out and like they're able to be out there or they're able to like pay someone take a and, week off, whatever. Yeah, and and so it's just like I can't. I have very limited capacity oh, yeah. for people like who come to who come to like make themselves feel better well they're pursuing an experience that isn't about solidarity or, or the movement right they're pursuing yeah. an aesthetic and that's really frustrating also like the fashion just seems really high maintenance for people who are not supposed to care about what they're wearing it's crafted in a, in a really <laughs> depleting way let's say <laughs> there's uh, like eight layers of tie-dye and batiks going yeah, that's on that's a lot of work I mean, <laughs> yeah. well there was um yeah i wrote a piece a long time ago about my friend and I wrote a piece a long time ago about a woman that was selling um, upilas, which are indigenous clothing in Guatemala. And she referred to them as like hippie chic or something. And I just lost it. We wrote this long piece about how completely fucked up that is. And got a lot of reads. Got a lot of reads. I was, I, I was angry. I was just angry. Well, I feel like that like we're, t- we're kind of taught like that we're supposed to be at- not I feel like now I'm not taught, but like as a child, I feel like I was more like, oh, these people have good intentions, yeah, right? right? But like we should welcome them in some way. It's, it's like you know, I don't know, Doctor King quote yourself or whatever, but like the the idea that like these people are actually more harmful than the oh, people yeah. who do us direct, you know, direct harm. Like they're they're manipulating our culture for their own purposes and well, they're and they're trying to solve like a, my sense of it is that they're trying to solve this whole that. That in, in pursuing, like, filling that hole, they just cause more damage. Yeah. And, I mean, I understand, man. It's got to be sad, like, to not have a culture. Yeah. It must, like, suck, it must suck to be white. 
I think about that frequently though. Like it's it, yeah. when when you ask like a white person like where their roots are, and they're like, oh, I don't know. Like I'm just an American. I'm just a mutt. I'm just European. Yeah. And like you understand like why they do fucked up shit. Like appropriate everything that we have. Yeah, their own foundation. Because like we're social creatures. Like people need to belong to something, and, right? Like. But the tragedy is also that like they're pursuing their own, but they're trying to delegitimize mine. Mm-hmm. My connection to my heritage. My connection to my language. My connection to my Mexican heritage. You know. I've just I've had countless numbers of white women like when I try to ask them about something that they're doing that's appropriative be like oh it's okay because this native person told me I could do it and it's like yeah. no it's not a, and, and it, it makes me it just makes me like, be like what happened to your ancestors like before you became a white person would your ancestors be sad that you've abandoned everything that they were like, they had cultural traditions right and extract somebody else's and so it's just, I don't yeah, we, know. we get that, too. They, they call themselves honorary Latinos or Latinos. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck who said that. <laughs> like, oh, I'm the not... worst is, like, people who are married to yeah, someone. Like, Ooh, yeah. And they're like, oh, well, I'm married a Native man, so actually I can speak to this issue. Yeah. Or I know how to do this. It's like, no. I have a couple trolls on the Facebook page that do that. Yeah, it's really weird. Not okay. Not okay. We object. <laughs> Ashley and I object to that. <laughs> strenuously. You do not get a pass. You do not get a pass. Or like, oh my god, what is going on her feet? Oh my god, stop it. What is she wearing? She's wearing like some weird moccasin boots. Now we're just people watching. Yeah, people hating, really. <laughs> that blonde woman, very thin blonde woman walking by us with this really strange small dog. <laughs> wearing some like moccasin strappy thingies. Ah. <sighs> Man, that shit gets real. Again, that's that's a very like, that takes a lot of energy to put something like that together. Right? I, I would imagine. And I just, I constantly, <laughs> like, part of, I, I think, why, like, white folks appropriate stuff is because of that sadness, because they don't have a culture. But I think also, like, the say, big part of it is, like, this, to show that they have the power to do it, right? Mm, yeah, like, I yeah, can do yeah. this, and you can't stop me. I can buy this. Good luck. Apple. I'm going to wear this headdress to Coachella. Yeah, that's, <laughs> a, tough, that's a tough one. <laughs> it's just, uh, it, it requires, like, constant emotional energy that I am so sick of giving up to that like yeah. i just don't i don't know yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's hard i mean it's hard with like and and like for at least from a culinary perspective and a lot of other levels like my heritage is like everywhere you know there's like mexican joints all over the place that i walk in and i'm just like i've never seen that before in my life i don't know what this thing that you're selling is but it's nothing related to anything that i'm and not that i represent all of mexico mexico is complicated and large and whatever but it's just like did you oh see that like God. think piece with the choco taco no, I didn't see that, but I probably shouldn't. I get too mad. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Well, man. it's like with with native people, because so few like so few people even know a native person. We're like mythical creatures. <laughs> like, um, yeah. you know, in the new Harry Potter, like J.K. Rowling actually wrote about native magic, like it was like the same thing as wizard magic. Oh, I totally missed that. And wrote about oh, yeah. like skinwalkers, like which is like a Navajo cultural tradition, like. What? A real story of their people and she like wrote about that like that was like the same thing as like Harry Potter using his wand and conjuring something and so that's just like I think it was in a way it was like good that she did that because it's like so illustrative of the way that people think of native people it's a clear example yeah wow damn yeah people there's some pretty good articles about that Mm, cool I had to like kind of not read it because I'm such a Harry Potter fan <laughs> like confession I have a Harry Potter tattoo and I went to Harry Potter world this year we live uh, in complication my friend <laughs> so I was like please no don't do it that's my struggle with the world I'm like I was like please stop just stop while you're ahead I mean I was I was just in LA and like my friends and I were POC friends we're just like fuck you know like I want to live in a spot where I can get my like tacos that are like all the crazy meats like all the and tripa, whatever, but I also want to get like my vegan, like blah blah blah. It's like you can't, mm, that's conflict, that's gentrification. It's funny with me, like sometimes I feel like I go someplace with like an organizer friend or something, and like we're like we kind of are a little embarrassed that we're there, yeah, but we also like really love that uh, thing. Like just, we just want to drink kombucha, and <laughs> just want to look at some fucking art that's on a wall sometimes. Fuck. <laughs> Uh, it's that is difficult, yeah. We were, I mean, that's the thing, you know. At least for me, I was raised here, and I've been socialized in the things that this country offers, for better or for worse. And I, but I hold on, as you know, I hold on and, and celebrate what my parents gave me and what my grandparents offered. Well, I think it's difficult too when you're also just like 
trying to like create wellness in your life and so many of the things from our cultures are like so terrible for you oh yeah like i've never shot tequila well it's like all the food that like my dad's generation of native people really ate or like celebrated basically like fry bread mac all these foods they're like made from this you know from commodities like terrible foods the government gave us to keep us sick right so it's then you're like okay well now i have to like shop at the co-op so I can, like, have access to my actual traditional foods. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's complicated. <laughs> All right, Ashley, our hour's almost up. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to offer the world? Um, I used to say, like, last words, then I realized that's kind of creepy. <laughs> so I'm not going to say that anymore. Other than to mention that I shouldn't say that. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I think that... Anything, anywhere we should follow you on? Is there different social media spaces that you want to draw some attention to? Um, it's a good time for that. Friend me on Facebook. Really? Ashley Fairbanks. Oh, cool, my Facebook is like basically a public art performance. <laughs> uh, it has nothing to do with my real life. I have a secret Facebook. All right. Don't well, try to find me. I'll try. Um, and then, yeah. She'll find you if she wants. Twitter, to. Instagram. I'm at ZBing. It's Z-I-I-B-I-I-N-G, which means by the river in Ojibwe. Oh, nice. Um, I don't know. Do sh- just do shit. Like, I feel like that's my constant lesson that I want to tell. Like, just go do something. But don't wear like, headdresses. Yeah, don't wear headdresses. <laughs> but, you know, go make something with your friends. Like, yeah. I don't know. I really want to hold a diorama party. Like, this is my <laughs> new thing. That I, they have one in Duluth, and I'm just like, I just want to make dioramas with people. Like, Fair. And so, and like with no deeper shit. So, I don't know. Something will come out. I hope if I can do anything in my life, it's just to compel more people to go experiment and make things and hang out with people and have fun i don't know it's great create some (laughs) resistance yeah thank you ashley thank you